Yeah, it's your boy Ray Ray on the mic. Let's go. Mic check, mic check. Welcome to On the Mic with Ray White, where we share life lessons, encourage self-reflection, and equip you to take action. My name is Ray White, and I am juiced that you're taking time to listen to this episode today. And let me tell y'all, man, we got another fire interview that I'm excited to drop to you all today. Jeff Cochran is featured onto this podcast, and I'm just, I'm encouraged by hearing his story, hearing the trials and triumphs that he has gone through for being an addict to now being an author, and just the path that he's been on in between along the way. You get to hear just some of the lessons he's learned as a pastor and and even the transition that he's made from moving from a, a ministry position that he has been called to step into to take a leap of faith and be, build his entrepreneurial journey as being a coach and an author and a speaker for helping people reach their own potential as well and see the God-given gift that they can live out in this world and man I'm just juiced man I'm hyped that he came onto the show and one of the main things that I grasped from this episode among many fire gems that he dropped is the importance of finding failure fast and how that has been a prevalent theme in his whole career to where he's found the ability to seek success and even overcome trials because of his ability to reframe failure but I yeah I don't want to get too deep into it because you gotta listen to him tell the story I'll be sure to drop all of Jeff's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all his social platforms in the show notes so you can catch the encouragement that he has, as well as his latest book, his newest book, The Next Level Leader, which just dropped. And I've got a copy. I'm a, I hope y'all get y'all copy too and continue to level up your leadership in the world in the corporate space and in life and all those ways as well so let me go ahead and stop talking y'all and dive into this episode titled finding failure fast featuring jeff cochran well hey everybody welcome to another episode of on the mic with bray white i am super excited to have uh, this individual onto the podcast, somebody who we actually got connected through LinkedIn and Instagram too, uh, with the Victory Squad group, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But he's an author, he is a pastor, he is a speaker and a writer, an entrepreneur, and uh, and is a huge individual focused on leadership and how to drive leadership and have develop great leaders into the organization and cultures. So I'm super excited to announce Jeff Cochran to the podcast. Jeff, welcome to the mic. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying yes to join to the podcast and uh, excited to celebrate with you as you just now released your book. Uh, and we'll, I would love to talk about that yeah. and get to that point. Um, but I want to start a little bit at the very beginning, uh, not the very beginning, but talk a little bit about your journey up to this point to where you are today. And I'd yeah. love to hear your insight. Um, the main question, the first question I have, actually, it might be a little bit unconventional, but did you see yourself being the author, the pastor, the the speaker, the man that you are today? Did you see that as part of your vision when you were growing up? No, no, man. Honestly, anybody who knew me in high school would go back and say, hey, if you knew me when I was 15, 16 years old, people would have said, Jeff is more likely to land in prison, right, than to do any of this. Um, I was 
I, I was drug addicted pretty bad. I would take anything that I could to get high. I was into some pretty hard stuff early on. And, uh, but it was an experience in high school around 16 years old where um, I was at a church youth camp, found faith in Christ that changed everything for me. And then from that point, it was just, hey, I want to go into ministry. I want to make an impact in other people's lives. I, I want to help change their lives the way mine was changed. And I had to deal, Ray, with a lot of stuff early after salvation, after stepping into ministry. I had to deal with the idea of, God, if you will use me, I'm okay if no one ever knows my name. Mm. I'm okay if no one ever sees anything great, as long as I've made an impact in eternity, as long as I made an impact in heaven, then I'm okay with that. And um, it, it was hard because in earlier years, I was in smaller churches and smaller places, and I yearned to make a bigger impact. And God really had to humble me in a lot of ways. And I, I remember it was probably back in around 2013, just having a prayer time with God where I said, you know what, God, if no one ever knows my name, that is fine. But I want to make the greatest impact I can for you, even if that's all through other people. And I just laid it down. And honestly, from the moment I laid it down, it's like God started making my name appear. He started making opportunities open. And um, the last decade has been really incredible. But no, I I never saw myself here. And, and honestly, even waking up, you know, this morning and going, gosh, I have a book out. Is that real? Like, is this a dream? You know, and and sometimes I think we have to lay down those expectations, those hopes, those dreams, and, and allow God to give us back what he wants, because this is better. My life right now is better than anything I would have dreamed up on my own. Yeah. Wow, that's good. I actually did not know that was a part of your story where the the, the addiction aspect and how, how much of a grip that had on you and and yeah, the fact that, you know, God is always there. He's intervening and he's, you know, spoke your name. He said, hey, you know, I called you to be greater than where you are today, which is phenomenal. And and, you know, so a question I have in that season was like, who who was who was with you that kind of walked with you to as you made that transition into that in, into finding Christ and getting into that side of uh, that life? Yeah. Um, so early on coming to faith in Christ, it was really, it was my girlfriend at the time who, you know, spoiler ended up being my wife. We've been married now for a long time, man. We've been married for over 15 years. And, um, but she actually, I'd gotten to such a bad place in my own addiction, um, that she said this, she said, Hey, if you don't come to this youth camp with me, I'm going to break up with you because there's no reason why I should be dating you. You got to show me that you're going to, you're going to take a step. And I really only went just so we continue dating. And then you know, found Christ when I wasn't looking for him. I was looking for anything else, man. I went with, I went with weed in my backpack. I was ready to go. You know, I was just looking for a, you know, a place to get high and somebody to get high with. And, um, but no, God changed my life. And then over the next, you know, five, six years, I had a bunch of different, you know, people, my, my youth pastor at the time, John Waters helped walk through a lot of life with me. Um, of course, my wife and I ended up getting married at a pretty early age. And, so I had those people around and then, you know, entered into a time where probably for the next eight, 10 years, I didn't have much of anybody. Mm -hmm. um, it was just kind of me and my wife and my family. And, and part of the downside of being in ministry sometimes is that you, you don't always get close to a lot of people. You love a lot of people, you serve a lot of people, but you don't let yourself be seen by as many people. But, um, and then God's brought people back into my life on this end. But 
I think part of even the book, part of the things that, that I do today is from stuff online, whether it's TikTok, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, doing my podcast, even this book, I want to do anything that I can to be the mentor that I didn't have. And I can't mentor more than just a few people. But what I can do is I can extend myself by saying, hey, I'm going to give away everything I know for free or for cheap. And uh, I tell people all the time when they say, hey, I can't find a mentor. I say, hey, you can be mentored today by anybody in the world that you want to. Read their blogs. Read their books. Find somebody you want to be like, right? Read every book. Read every blog. Follow them on social media. Soak it all up and let them be a mentor while you're waiting on God to bring someone into your life right now. Um, so for people who are in seasons like I was in and, and don't seem to have people pouring into them, that's what I want to be. Uh, because, you know, from really ending kind of college to that next season in ministry, it just, it, it was kind of a desert season. It was a dark season where I didn't have a lot of people around me. So I just was doing the best that I could. And we're always better when we have people around us. So of course, of course. I love that, you know, that mentality that, yes, having people, physical individuals around us is better from an accountability perspective for just somebody to talk to and to grow with. But, you know, especially in our generation, the, the digital age and all the resources that are around us, we can literally curate our personal development, our growth. Um, That's right. It's a challenge, but it still could be possible to be the to find the mentors that we need. And I love the fact that your servant leadership mindset and your heart is to turn right back around and do that for others and create that space where you can also be a voice and extending yourself yeah. in that context. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. You you made a comment about uh, you know stepping into leadership or in church and volunteering and being in that space and really having killing your own ego in order to increase you know, Christ and Christ within you, which I ooh, yeah. If that, that that's a that's a tough thing to do, but the yearning to step into you know sounds like you wanted to be upfront, you wanted to be the one that was using your voice and using your gifts to uh, serve in the in, in the world that way, serve for the kingdom in that way. But uh, obviously, yeah. you got the opportunity to do that. So, how what was that calling like? Where you finally said, you know what, I'm going to continue to die to myself daily. And then next thing you know, your name is called. What, what was that dynamic like where you stepped into? Uh, yeah. Becoming- so I think it was 2013 when I prayed that prayer to God and began to just give away leadership where I was at to volunteers who were around me, to other staff members. Um, I would try to set things up where I knew they would be wins and then let someone else take it to the finish line. Let someone else take credit for it. You know, I wanted to build a ministry that would last beyond me. And, uh, you know, we, we saw God move and do some incredible things. I saw a, a ministry that started with about three students. I was a student pastor at the time, moved to over a hundred. Um, but there were, there were some places where I was going to make the decision and felt like I, I needed to leave the church I was at, which was comfortable for me. Right. And the reason I needed to leave was because I felt like there was a cap on what we could do and who we could reach. And, and for me, I thought that meant starting over. My entire experience up to that point had been every time I took a new job in youth ministry, it was with, you know, like four or less students and then building something. And it, it was arduous, right? So when we made that decision, my wife and I, I was literally saying, okay, I'm 30 at the time and I'm going to start all over. 
So this was 2015. I thought, I'm going to start all over. I don't feel called to do anything else other than student ministry. So um, it was another example of, hey, I have to follow through with that. God, I'm, I'm willing for no one to know my name. I'm willing to humble myself. And the first church that we found that we felt drawn to was back home for us in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was a multi-site, five-campus at the time church that has turned into a top 100 church in the United States. And I just felt God say, um, kind of in my spirit, hey, this is the one. I'm bringing you back home. And I thought, well, God, you're going to have to do something because I don't have the resume for this. You know, nobody's going to believe that I can do this. I've been in, in middle of nowhere, Alabama. You know, I've started uh, youth ministries, but this student ministry was going to be over 500 students, you know, a, a week, over a thousand a month. I was going to lead more volunteers than I'd ever led people. And God was just faithful, man. He opened up doors that shouldn't have, have opened up. And I, I remember the first interview I was supposed to have with the executive pastor at this church. He told the search firm, I don't want to meet with this guy. He's not led anything big enough. And the, the search firm guy that was kind of leading in between us and kind of being the liaison, he said, do me a favor, talk to the guy one time. And if you don't like him, you don't have to listen to me ever again. But I think he's a good fit. And God opened up those doors. And when I got in front of people with interviews, it was like we knew, hey, this is what it's supposed to be. And it was really stepping into two things. In that season, I stepped into that church, which opened me up to now people are, are beginning to see things that I'm gifted at. And beginning to come back with opportunities and saying, hey, do you want to do you want to speak in more places? Do you want to write in more places? Right. But at the the same time, probably six months before I made that call to leave, I was at a, a conference, National Youth Workers Convention, and got approached by some people from the Institute from Youth Ministry um, with Princeton Theological Seminary. And they said, Hey, we want to offer you a scholarship to be a part of this certificate program because they heard me ask a question. And they said, the way you're thinking, the questions you're asking, those are hard and those are humble. And, and we're looking for people like you to be a part of this program. And, and I thought it was a joke. Like I thought somebody, one of my friends has sent someone from Princeton to come talk to me and, you know, say they want to scholarship me for this. I'm, I'm not that smart. I can't do this, you know, and, but it turned out to be, you know, real. So um, between that time at Princeton and that time at Faith Promise, I got hooked up with some people from a company called Ministry Architects. Um, they were coaching me at the time as a part of that, you know, academic program. And at the end, they said, hey, we would love to invite you to, to join our team because we think you could help, you know, churches and pastors across the country. So it was a season, Ray, of not looking for it, but one time after another where God sent people into my life to say, we see something deeper in you. We see something more in you. Here's an opportunity. And it, it was it was just crazy because I'm thinking just a few years before I said, God, I I'm okay if no one ever knows my name. I'm not looking for opportunities. And it seems like the more I wasn't looking for them, the more they came my way. So uh, today, it, it, it's still kind of a, a balancing act of just waking up every day and saying, God, thank you. I expect blessing today. I expect favor today. I don't deserve anything that I have. If you never give me anything else, it, it's more than I deserve right now. But God, I'm going to try to steward it in a way that my hands are open to receive more if you want to give it. But my hands are also open because I know it's not mine and God can take it away at any time. But like I wrote this book, this book just came out and, and my number one goal, Ray, is not to have a bestseller. I would love to have a bestseller. Don't get me wrong. You know, anybody listening, go buy the book. I love it. But my number one goal for this year is actually to help 25 people write the book that's in them. 
And my prayer and my hope is that their books actually go farther than mine. And I, I think that's just, that's how God's wired me from that moment where I had to humbly just say, God, I, I'm going to lay my, my dreams at your feet. And he can do so much more when we lay those dreams down than when we're trying to, trying to make them happen. Yeah. Yeah. That I love that you said, you know, the daily prayers of I'm thankful for this. I, you know, it's not mine anyway, but I'm a steward at the best of my ability because you've given it to yeah. me. And I, I can imagine because putting myself in that shoes, like, you you have to pray that every day because I can imagine the ego that you were once wanting to hold on to in the past would creep back up and say, all right, and it's getting bigger, you know, it's getting out there more and more opportunities, but really truly yeah. understanding who is the main thing, the main thing and keeping Christ at the center of it and how you being the vehicle to help promote that, not for your glory, but for his, like that has to be yeah. every every day. A conversation with you and God and in, in, in that regard. So that's, that's awesome. And I'm literally mental note saying, all right, got to keep doing that myself too, because you don't want to get that, get have myself ahead of what Christ has put before, before Christ in any way. That's phenomenal. Um, so like, oh man, you said, you said a few things. The one that, you know, the book, the, the next level leader, uh, one, it's, it, it's a book that you created to help other leaders and, and with the journey that you've gone so far. But mm -hmm. not only are you helping leaders, but you also want to help people write their own book. Because I remember you posting quite a bit about that as part of, your, uh, part of your package of, hey, let me get you to do exactly what I've done. Like, That's right. What? Like, <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit about that piece, because uh, writing a book can be daunting for a lot of people. I mean, and by a lot of people, I'm talking about myself. Writing a book can be very daunting. Um, how do you, one, overcome that sense of fear for yourself? And then two, what do you do to help other people walk through that? Yeah. Well, I actually talk about that in the book itself from a leadership perspective, not from a, a writing a book perspective, but it transfers because something like writing a book, Ray, it, it's self-leadership at its core. Like you have to lead yourself. You have to make yourself write 500 words a day when you don't want to write 500 words a day. You you got to write when you feel like it's trash, right? You got to go back and edit it. And, and man, I, I feel like I worked on this book for a year after I thought I was done with it, you know, but it's the same principles of just leading yourself well. And, and, and part of leading yourself well, part of doing anything great is learning to lean into the skid of failure, right? Like one of the things I try to teach the people that I coach, whether it's, whether they're writing or I'm doing spiritual coaching with them, or I'm just trying to help them get a business started. I try to get them to, to steer into the skid of fear and find failure as quickly as possible. Because when you find failure, a couple of things happen. One, you realize it's not fatal. It's not final. You're not done. You're okay. You also realize you learned some stuff from it. But the cool part is once you find failure, you know exactly where you need to develop and what the next goal is, right? So as soon as I find failure and I realize, I'm, man, I'm, I'm not dead. Nobody's pointing at me. Nobody said you can't write this book. Now I know where I'm at. I know what's in me. And it, it strips the fear away. If you are scared of failure, you'll never get anywhere near success because that fear will keep you from getting anywhere where you may fail. But if you get okay with failure, if you make failure your friend, it has no fear on you. And I think about, you know, we've all worked in places where bosses led through fear. At least I think most people have. And uh, a boss can lead through fear for a while, but it works until it doesn't. 
Because the moment people are no longer scared of that boss, they have no influence over them anymore. That's a bad leader, right? So the same thing in life, the moment that fear doesn't have sway over me is a moment that it has no influence over me. And I can begin to write my own destiny. I can begin to write things for myself and into my story that God has for me that I couldn't see before. So I want to find failure because with every new thing that I start, failure is just as scary all over again. So when I start something new, I got to find failure. You know, when I started this business and I left the church back in the end of December and in January, started my own business, I found failure early, man. I struck out on some contracts and just kept going. Had a couple of weeks. I didn't make any money. Every contract was a no. Well, that's okay because now it doesn't hold any sway over me. I'm writing another book now and the fear was just as big with this one as it was the other one. Having a published book doesn't make writing the next one easier, but as John Acuff says, sometimes you just have to punch fear in the face and move on anyway. So um, when I'm coaching people, that's one of the things that I say is, hey, let's think about this. If you write this book, what's the worst thing that could happen if you failed? What does failure look like? And they usually say, well, I, I write it and I publish it and nobody buys it. Okay, well, what happens if nobody buys the book? Well, I'm a little embarrassed. Okay, well, what happens if you're embarrassed? Well. I'm either never going to write another book or I'm going to try harder next time. Okay. It, what's painful about that, yeah. right? Even if no one bought your book, do you know you're in the top 1% of people because you wrote one? Right. Like something's happened in you because you wrote one. So even if the worst thing happens, it's not that bad. So when you play that game as a leader, you say, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Take it all the way to the end. Most of the time, it's not worth fearing. And if you take it all the way to the end and it is worth fearing, that's when you go, okay, maybe I need to be a little safe here. Maybe that's not something I need to do if, if I could actually die from this, you know? But the stuff that we're so scared of, man, the, the world has conditioned us through insecurity and all kinds of other things. We're scared of things that shouldn't have any sway over us. And people who do the things that we all want to do, people who live into their dreams, the only difference between them and you, if you're not living in that dream, is that they weren't scared to fail, right? So that's the first thing, man. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help people. I give them everything they need in a course, and I walk them through coaching and say, hey, I'm going to give you everything that you need to write this book. But my, the biggest thing I bring is accountability where I say, hey, you're going to push, and, and I'm going to bring you to failure, and then we're going to celebrate that failure and keep going. And every time you fail, I'm going to tell you a story about how I failed, and you're going to go, but you got a book out. And people are buying it. Well, yeah, and they're going to buy yours too. It's going to be okay. Awesome. Make failure your friend. I don't think anybody really wants to embrace that idea, at least conceptually. But like, as you say that and even walk through the, what's the worst that can happen and keep taking it to its further extent. And if it's not to the point of, you know, you physically dying or something detrimental is happening to you or your family, or what have you, then it's like, okay, well, there's, there's to be no issue for us to just take that first step. And mm sounds awesome is that not only are you helping people understand to find failure fast and get to that point, but then you're like, all right, well then let's keep going because I can help you get to that next level too. And, and help walk you to that next yeah. state. That's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So it sounds like you found failure quickly, obviously, as you've engaged in each entity uh, of your, of your career journey. So moving from multiple yeah. churches to growing into becoming from Alabama to Nashville. And then you made a comment that you, so just last year, you made the entrepreneurial leap and starting your own business. 
I guess what mm-hmm. I'm thinking there is like, what was the, what was like the deciding point to say, you know what, like, I have to do this. Like, I, I need to be able to take this and, and, and mold what's currently into a business. Like what, what was that deciding factor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it was just a couple of months ago. Um, God started stirring this in me in October. Hold on, hold on. So it was literally 2020, not 2019. That's oh, right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in the ahead. middle of a pandemic, God started stirring in me. And man, like I said, I was at a top 100 church. Um, everything was up and to the right that I was leading. People would say, Hey, you're in your sweet spot. You got an easier job than you've ever had before. You have tons of influence where you're at. It's opening up all these doors of opportunity. And, um, I just kept being haunted by this idea that God was trying to do something new in the church and we weren't seeing it right. Not the church I was at, but just the American church, like that we were trying so hard to get back to what was that we were missing what God was trying to do. And I really felt and sensed in my spirit, it wasn't an audible voice, but I sensed in my spirit that God was saying in October, you know what, Jeff, I may be moving you. And I just started asking questions. I just started getting, you know, people around me. And I thought, what does this mean? And early December, I really felt God nudged me specifically. And I just heard this in my spirit. It's hard to explain, but I heard, Jeff, I want to use you to serve my church, the people, not the institution. I want to use you to serve my people in this season outside of the institution of the church. So um, I went to about 20 people, 20 people who were close to me. I have an inner circle. I have another circle. I have a circle after that, right? 19 out of 20 said, this is what you were made for. Wow. And we think you need to go do it. I expected most of them to say, are you crazy? We're in the middle of a pandemic. What are you doing? Your life's never been better. You know, you're, everything's going well where you're at. This is easy. You've got these opportunities. You have time to do all these other things. And instead, 19 out of 20 said, as weird as it sounds, I think this is the time, right? So I knew, okay, I'm in trouble. God's doing something. He's confirming it through other people. And so I talked to our chief of staff and uh, just said, hey, what, what does this look like going in the future? These are some of the things I'm thinking about. These are some of the things that are, you know, kind of in my heart. And I took the leap uh, December, you know, 30th, I, I had a job, you know, and then after celebrating New Year's, I didn't. And I was starting my own business. And um, the last few months have been a whirlwind because I've been doing this stuff on the side. It's totally different to say, okay, God, you got to provide today. Mm -hmm. Right. And and the whole last month, I've really not been able to in February, hardly get any clients because I've been focused on launching this book, but God, as he always does provide, but I had to be willing. Okay. God, first thing I'm going to do is find failure. Right. But I've never, I've never not been able to succeed if I've been willing to push past that first round of failure. And I knew that God was going to do that again. So the more that you push through failure, it doesn't mean that it's less scary it just has less of a hold on you because you realize I'm capable of more than I thought I was. God isn't going to put a dream on your heart that he's not going to give you the skills and the resources to make a reality. So if he's put it on your heart, maybe it's not yet, but there will be a time where he's going to give you what you need. So I I want everybody that's listening, I want them to hear this. God will not put a dream on your heart that he never leads you to see in reality. Okay. It's coming. It's coming. But 
the only way you get there, there's going to be a time where there's a leap that scares you to death and you have to take that leap. You can't shrink back. You can't play it safe. Um, I've got a friend who he used to tell me this. He'd say, Jeff, you got to burn the boats. You got to burn the boats because if you burn the boats, you can't go back. Right. And um, we have a mutual friend, uh, Ryan Hartley, who leads the always better than yesterday community out of London. And he told him the same thing. My friend, Jonathan told Ryan, Hey, you got to burn the boats. Well, last year, right before the pandemic, Ryan left the police force and started his own consulting firm and is impacting, man, he's impacting millions of people right now. Just had Matthew McConaughey on his podcast, big deal, right? And then he's telling me I need to burn the boats and I'm, I'm leaving in January. And then, but today, because this is what happens as you learn, failure can be my friend, right? That God, if he put that dream inside of me, well, Jonathan has dreams inside of him today. Or, so um, today we were actually talking to him, me and Ryan, and we said, hey, maybe it's time that you take your own advice and you burn the boats, right? There's going to come a time to reach that dream God put inside of you where you have to burn the boats, but that act of faith will spark a new work. And he's going to, he's always going to meet you there. Awesome. That's awesome. I actually was listening to one of your uh, YouTube videos of the hearing God's voice. And it sounded like, you know, out of the five, you got four of them. And, and you went through the stages yep. of the, different way, or the five different ways. And you said, by the time you get to four or five, four and five, you better get moving because God has something that's stirring up within you to take action. And he wants you to yep. invite you into that space. So that's phenomenal. You know, reading the scriptures, engaging with friends and, and your trusted mentors and really guided by the spirit to take that leap, man. And I, that's just phenomenal. That's right. And what we're, you know, early March and you're already continuing to see, I'm sure, still scary actions, but from it, from taking those oh, yeah. steps. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I stated before, the next next level leader is out now. It's it's a book that you've been focused on for quite some time. Uh, you put some dedication and heart into it and into launching it, to uploading, to making sure everybody is aware that this book is out. Why did you feel the need to write this book? Like, what is the importance that you want to convey through the next level leader? Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing is the reason why I wrote it Ray is actually, it's more powerful today than it was when I had the idea, right? So I put three years of research into this one because I, I wanted to share what great leaders said separated them from average leaders, right? And when I took that job shift that we talked about earlier, so I'm leaving Southern Alabama, middle of nowhere, to this huge church, I knew like in my spirit, maybe this was wrong, maybe this is insecurity talking, but I just had this feeling they're going to realize they made a mistake. They're going to realize I don't know what I'm doing if I don't continue to grow. But God's bringing me here for a reason. So I got two choices. I can say I'm not ready and they're going to figure it out at some point and just try to fake it or I can get ready, right? So I started calling people and this was 2015. I started calling leaders and just calling leaders that a lot of them wouldn't answer the phone. I didn't know them. They were just really good leaders. And I said, hey, what separates average leaders from those who just do something great, right? And as I started getting answers and I put it into practice in my own life, people began to notice my leadership difference, my leadership growth. And then I changed the question and started getting intentional to make it research for a book. Because I said, I got to share this to other people, but I've got to distill it into something that other people can learn from. So my first book is not going to be my expertise. It's going to be the expertise that I mind from other people. Uh, saying I mind it sounds better than stole it, but I just, man, I badgered them until they told me what was the difference. And I changed the question when I started his research. I said, 
what separates average leaders from those who go to the next level? And for three years, I just asked that question. I didn't write. I didn't do anything else. I asked that question and I would just write the notes down from leaders that are great in their own right, but nobody knows their name all the way to leaders like John Maxwell. I'd ask that question. I'd catalog the answers. And I found that everybody said the same 15 things just in different ways. So I took those 15. I started seeing where other data points came together. And I said, I've got to share this. So really, the book came out of this desire to say, I'm not where I need to be yet, but I'm going to figure out how to get there. And the only way to figure out how to get there is not me try to grit and bear it and say, okay, I'm smart. And that's what great leaders do. No, the answer was to say, I don't know what I'm doing and ask for help. Again, it was humility, right? It was calling people who wouldn't answer me. And when I did get somebody on the phone saying, hey, I'll, I'll buy you dinner. I'll do whatever it takes if you'll just spend some time with me, right? But I soaked it up like a sponge. And then when I felt like I knew it and my leadership was taking a different trajectory, I started writing the book, right? And every time that I have started to not be able to grow the way I want, or every time I felt like I started moving backwards a little bit, it was when I started doing what someone else thought I should do for leadership development instead of eating my own cooking and listening to what all those men and women told me over those years. And every time I get away from it, things start moving sideways. And every time I get back to it, I start growing and people start noticing. So I said, hey, I've got to share this. I got to get this out. So in the very first chapter of the book, I actually say, I'm not an expert. I'm not even at the highest level of leadership yet because I can't get there. The only way you can get to the highest level of leadership is to, to spend time making 25 other high-level leaders over time, right? So I'm not there. I'm still growing. But what I am is someone on the journey with you who asks some great questions, and I want to share the questions. I want to share what I've learned. I want to share what's making an impact in my life right now, what has made an impact in my life. So it doesn't just have to transform my leadership. I don't want to hold on to it. If I hold on to it, that's, that's theft. I'm going to have to answer to God one day of why I stole from his kids. I had a gift for the world. I shared it with you and you didn't give it to anybody. Well, I don't want that to be me. So if I learn something, and that's part of leadership, I think, as soon as I learn something, I'm going to teach it to someone. And then after I teach it to them, I'm going to, I'm going to know it a little better because I'm going to find out what I didn't know. I'm going to learn it a little better and I'm going to teach it to three people. Then I'm going to teach it to a small mastermind class. Then I'm going to teach it on the stage. After I've taught it a hundred times, I'm ready to start writing about it. And after I've wrote about it a thousand times, I'm ready to publish, right? It's layered learning. John Maxwell calls it layered learning. And every time you dive into it, you learn more. So now people look at me and they say, Jeff, how did you get all this? Man, you're smart. You're a good leader. Where did you get all this? Right. And I can just tell them, hey, I learned it from other men and women of God. But guess what? They learned it from other men and women of God. They learned it from other leaders before them. And actually, if you want to know the source, all of this could probably be found in scripture, but we're just, we, we don't see it that way. So um, don't hold on to what you have because the people who are great never became great on their own. They became great at something because they humbled themselves to learn from other people. So the quickest way to greatness, the quickest way to the next level is to learn from other people. And that's what this book is all about. It's saying, hey, let me save you. Let me save you four years of research and $30,000 worth of, of time and money right? Same thing with how to write the book. Can I share with you what I've spent years learning how to do so that you can go further, faster? And uh, when we do that as leaders, we're willing to give it away and help other people do what we've done faster and better. I think God just continues to give us blessings and we go, 
why why are things going well? Why do things keep getting better? Because when you when you hold it with open hands, God can fill those hands. When I try to hold it with closed hands, God can't put anything else new in there either. So um, that's what it's all about, man. It's just trying to give away what I've learned, and I'm going to keep doing that until God stops giving me anything. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I love that it you know it started with a question, you know, or, or more so started with your own viewpoint of leadership and recognizing, like you said, finding failure first, <laughs> getting to that next stage, realizing there's a lot of things I still need to be developed rather than trying to manage it on my own. Let me ask, let me go around and be yeah. actually download from the sources and individuals who have the social proof to where you can have the social proof and then we can then relay that to teach that to others. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I, I'm interested because I'm gonna get the book. I'm for sure gonna get the book because I'm always trying to develop my leadership awesome. as well. I would love to get hear from you one of those principles or one of the answers that really like sticks out to you. Um, obviously all 15 stick out, but what is one that you yeah. want to share? Uh, shared right now? Well, it, it, one that I'll share, and I, I actually say in the book, there are two that have a different kind of impact on the rest. Okay. So um, there's one that I call leadership hunger, right? It's it's that drive, that burden, that passion. Most of us call it passion. Okay. It affects all the others as a multiplier because it makes you better at the others. But one of the last ones that I write about I actually say in the book, if I could only get you to do one thing, grow in one area, it would be here, right? And it's because it's the hurdle you have to get over, okay? So I love all 15, but if I could only tell you to grow in one spot, it would be resilience. We, as leaders today, lack resilience. And I use um, the imagery in the book of hitting the wall. Like, I don't know, are you a runner, Ray? I've grown to be in uh, COVID, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We got got a lot of COVID runners. I, I don't look like it now, and you can't you know see me full screen in the Zoom interview. But I'm five ten and a solid two forty right now. Okay, I don't have a runner's body. But in high school and in college, I ran. I ran on scholarship. I ran cross country. I ran half marathons, and I ran for as long as my knees would let me run. But in running, there's something called hitting the wall, and hitting the wall usually isn't going to happen in anything less than a marathon. But marathons, fifty mile ultras, hundred mile ultras you're going to hit the wall, sometimes multiple walls. But in a marathon, hitting the wall normally happens somewhere between mile 18 and mile 22. And your body literally starts sabotaging itself because your brain says, this hurts, we have to stop. He's killing himself. And if he doesn't stop, we're going to die, right? But our mind is always going to tell us that we need to quit and we don't have anything left. And it's designed as a safety mechanism. So my mind is going to tell me I don't have anything left. Your mind is going to tell you you don't have anything left. And usually when it tells you that, you've got 25% or more left in the tank, right? But your mind is self-preservation mode and it's saying, no, you can't do this. And then your mind starts sabotaging your body with that kind of pain. So when people hit the wall, they can't think straight. They can't breathe right. And they, they literally think a lot of times I'm dying and they quit. And that's when they quit, right? But if you can get through hitting the wall and there's you can't go around the wall, you can't go over the wall, you have to go through the wall, right? And you, when you run into a brick wall, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to end well. But when you learn to condition your mind, condition your body and say, I'm going to be resilient. There's more in me than I think is in me. The person who believes in me least is usually me. Yeah. I don't believe in myself most. I believe in myself least but I've had to learn that, that I'm a liar. My fear is a liar. God sees me as more. 
other people see me as more. So I have to sometimes just say, hey, brain, thank you for that. Thank you for telling me this is dangerous. Thank you for telling me it hurts, but I have more in me, right? And I'm going to become the master of myself. I'm going to really, uh, uh, you know, become resilient enough to do hard things. And the more we practice resilience, the further the wall moves. So there are things, Ray, that five years ago, leadership-wise, I just couldn't do. I wasn't good at them, right? But I would find failure. I would hit the wall. And when I hit the wall and said, I can't do it anymore, I'd go 10% farther. 10%, that's not much. But every time I went 10% farther, the next time I hit the wall, it was 10% farther, right? And over five years, now I doubled, tripled, quadrupled in those areas what I'm capable of doing because I've trained myself to be resilient, right? And I think if there's one thing that you can do, probably the thing that's affected my leadership more than anything is simply resilience. There's stuff I didn't want to go through, but the more that I've went through, the more I've realized, hey, I can do it. Hey, there's more in me. The way I see myself isn't always the right way. So sometimes I just have to say, hey, what do other people say? What does God say? And I have to live as though what they say about me is true. Not what I believe about me, what they say about me. And I use the example in the book of hitting the wall, but there's a case study at the end of every chapter of a real life leader, historical or current. And I use J.K. Rowling in that chapter. And J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series. Uh, My publisher even came back and said, Jeff, that's not your normal leadership case study. Do you want to pick somebody who's more of a leader? I said, no, because resilience is about self-leadership. And she was homeless, had a brand new kid, recently divorced, as poor as you could be in modern day London, having to go to coffee cafes and write on their internet back in the 90s to finish that book. And when she finished that book, it got turned down hundreds of times. And when it finally got picked up by Bloomsbury, it only got picked up by Bloomsbury because the guy who was in charge, his granddaughter read it and said, hey, you, you, you need to do this. So he said, okay, just to appease her, we'll print 500 copies. Now, if you're new to the book scene, printing 500 copies is not a sign of faith. That is a sign they think this thing is going to fail miserably. Okay. Um, most books don't sell even 200 copies, right? So they, they print 500 copies, expect it to be a failure. It turns into the, the best-selling book series of all time. Now she's leading movies. She's leading all these other things. She's got all these companies. It was self-leadership. She learned how to be resilient. And there was something she said about hitting rock bottom that let her know rock bottom wasn't scary. Once you hit rock bottom, you can go anywhere, right? Because you know, you, you know how far you can go down. So I use that as an example. And if there's one thing our generation could learn that would just, it would really change the game. And I'm, I, from millennials all the way to Gen Z, it would change everything. It's to learn a greater level of resilience, a greater level of a grit. It's going to multiply your leadership like nothing else will. Awesome. That's awesome. Resiliency is good. That's a good one. And it's something that I know we discuss quite a bit in my workspace. We talk quite a bit about resiliency and mm-hmm. leaders and as institutions just being able to navigate and grow, grow through that. And yeah, hitting that wall and knowing that there is more that can be given, but you just have to turn off that that the the talk, the self-talk that's saying that you can't go any further. Yeah. And that, that's key. So I'm excited to I'm excited to dive into that and the other 15, other 14 uh principles that you drew out of that book and and just level up my own leadership because you know it's it's an ongoing journey, which is what you've shown. Uh that's right. Briefly talking through your your experience and briefly talking through just from you know, your your time 
before Christ till now, <laughs> just the amount of growth and self-leadership yeah. you put yourself into. So that's phenomenal. I will love, to, I have one last question I want to give uh, to you, but before sure. that, I'd love for you to connect or just give anything that you want to plug, obviously the book, but you, you're in the content creating space. You're all over the place. I love mm -hmm. the that you put out. Where can people find you and just get more of, of you and your message and, and, and information about leadership? Yeah. If you're wanting to find everything in one place, the easiest place is jeffcochran.online. That's my website. It's going to connect you to all my social media. It's going to connect you to Amazon for the book. Um, it's a place where you can actually purchase coaching. You can purchase courses. You can read the blog for free. Everything's there. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. I'm all over the place. So either just search my name, Jeff Cochran, on things like um, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Or if it's uh, something like Instagram or TikTok with a handle, it's jeff.a.cochran. And uh, every spot has a little different content, but a lot of the same flavor. Um, so I would love to I would love to have uh, any of your listeners that are a part of my community that, that want to be. We're all about getting better. So one way or another, it's about just taking a step every day. And uh, that would be my hope is that anybody who follows me on any platform would say I get better and I believe in myself more because of what Jeff's putting out. Yeah. Actually, I want to geek out real quick. So you listed out 12 different platforms that you're on, <laughs> which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. As a content creator, you're in all these different spaces. Uh, you, you have another YouTube uh, video out there talking about 360 content, how to transform your content for other platforms and this phenomenal mm -hmm. process, uh, you know, and is, is phenomenal. But how do you not overwhelm yourself in trying to be in all those spaces at once? I would, I would love to hear that, yeah. that. How do you process that or work through that? Just your process for that. Yeah. Well, it really is the 360 content. And uh, gosh, I mean, you saw that video. That was, I was still learning how to do, how to do videos. That, the lighting on that video itself was terrible, cringeworthy. That's part of it, though. It, when people say, how'd you get in all these spaces? I put stuff out before I was ready, mm -hmm. right? Put, put it out before you're ready. Don't let perfection become the enemy of progress, right? So, um, but I'm, I'm getting ready to do a course on 360 content and 360 branding, but it's really just that I don't ever make a piece of content that's for one thing, right? So uh, for instance, when I started doing a podcast, I never did just an audio only podcast. I said, okay, I need to be able to video this. I need to be able to put it on YouTube as well, as well as the audio. Okay. So I do everything iOS only, everything I create, iPhone, iPad, period because I wanted to remove the obstacles of saying, well, I can't do that because I don't, I don't have this piece of equipment. I don't have that. And then I showed you earlier, my microphone's on a nice boom arm and everything else. It's literally attached to a kitchen stool so I can move it around to the different studio parts of my house. But um, so for the podcast, I make the podcast, I video it, and then I pull the audio off. So I put the audio podcast on like iTunes and Spotify, stuff like that. I put the video podcast on YouTube then I go back and I clip it up. I bring it into smaller clips and I use two, three, four, five minute clips for other YouTube videos and for things like IGTV, Facebook, stuff like that. Things that like the longer form content, right? Um, then I take minute long content, anything between the space of like 30 and 60 seconds. And I'll use some of that for TikTok. I'll use a lot of that for Instagram, for posts, for things like that. If it's 30 seconds or less, I'm going to use it for TikTok and for Reels. And if it's 15 seconds or less, I'm going to use it for both of those, but also for stories, right? So now I've taken this one piece of content 
And once you start clipping it up and doing different things with it, it doesn't feel like it was the same piece of content anymore. It becomes more evergreen. And over the next year, I use it where I need it, right? Um, put captions on the things so that, that they're, they're easy. And you find ways, I've just got a process of everything that I video, how I'm going to do it. I clip it up one time and I just duplicate that file, right? I've got one way that I add captions to things. So it's the same thing with sermons. Um, it's the same thing with really anything that I'm doing and anything that I'm doing, I ask. So like Friday, I'll be at a, a leadership conference and um, it, it's not uncommon for me to start doing something, have a conversation and put my phone on a tripod and just sit it there so that I have it. Right. And I'll tell people, Hey, I know this is weird, but I think this conversation is going to help somebody else. So let's have it in front of a camera. Right. And uh, so that's something that I've learned is just, Hey, whatever you're doing that could help someone film it. Right. So phone, microphone, I've got this microphone, but I'll pull it out here. I've got the Shure MV7, tiny, plugs right into my iPhone, take it with me everywhere. You're not going to find me without this guy. So I can plug it right in do an interview right where I'm at. So part of it is just being ready for the content. And then part of it is saying, okay, how can I use this content besides the main place? And if I can't figure out how to use the content in more than one place, I'm just not going to do it because I'm trying to reach as many people as possible with the messages that I feel like God has given me. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's phenomenal. I love it. That's right. Man. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, we, I can geek it out all day. But the last question I want to ask for you is you, you, you've dropped gems throughout this whole interview, and I appreciate that. And, you know, what I'm definitely going to do is cut them up because you provided some phenomenal uh, content and, and more so just a message, a framework, a mindset for individuals to walk through any situation. Um, yeah through failure, creating their leadership, just how to navigate life, which I appreciate. I would like to take this last question just to ask you, what would you say to that, to, to the younger Jeff who was sitting there getting ready to go do church camp because his girlfriend said, hey, you're gonna go or else uh, we're, we're done. What would you say to that person um, at that state at that time, knowing now what you've gone through today? Yeah. If I could talk to myself at 15, 16 years old, I would say, Jeff, you have no idea what you're capable of if you'll surround yourself with the right people and you'll trust God. You have no idea. It's going to surprise you. It's going to blow your mind. You wish you knew right now, but if God told you right now, you would run 100 miles an hour in the other direction. But one, God's got more for you, but you got to follow him. You got to give it to him. You got to follow his way. Because again, as, as I let go, he's done more in me. But I would also say surround yourself with the right people because you're not going to believe in yourself enough. None of us do. We're our own worst critic. I've never met someone who has a critic that is worse for them than the one that's inside their head. If I talk to anybody else the way that I talk to myself, I would have no friends. No one would want to be around me because the stuff that I say to me, unfiltered, nasty, terrible, tearing myself down, right? Because it's just in my head. So I would say, hey, surround yourself with people who believe in you more than you believe in you. Surround yourself with people who are going to tell you to stop complaining and to stop whining and to stop making excuses and call out something inside of you that makes you uncomfortable. And if the people around you aren't calling out things that make you uncomfortable, you don't have the right people around you. If the people around you get jealous when you accomplish something more than they're accomplishing, you don't have the right people around you, right? But also, 
if you're only concerned about what they're calling out of you and you're not calling greater things out of other people, you're the wrong person to be around them, right? So what I do, right, it, it's with this book, it's with all the content that I make, I try to be for other people what I need in my life. I know how little I believe in me, right? I'm gonna get choked up talking about it. I know what I think about myself. I know the raging insecurity. I know the imposter syndrome. I know all those things. So what I try to do is I'm going to be for other people what my wife was for me, what she still is to this day for me. I'm going to be for other people what some of my best friends in the world are for me. And in the front of the book, I, I wept as I wrote the acknowledgments to Corey, to Paul, and to Candace. You believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, right? So that's what I do. I can't do it for me. I need other people to do it for me. And I've started to believe over time, you know what they say must be true. If everybody else says something and I believe one thing, I have to be the one person that's wrong, right? But I want to spend the rest of my life being that for other people. So if you really want to be made great, you really want to succeed, surround yourself with the right people, follow God and be for other people what you're desperate for them to be for you. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Ah, that's hype. I'm hyped right now. That's, that's appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your heart, and sharing the just the growth that God has put you on uh, on this journey and continuing to go on too because it's not it's yeah. not over yet. Um, and and just thankful that you took the time to to share your successes on the podcast. I'll definitely be dropping your where we could find you as well. Let's get the content uh, or get your book uh, so that way they can. Uh, awesome. leadership as well and, and get you over the 100 uh top 100 even top 50 mark or for amazon as you continue progressing the book but i love that that's not the only goal the goal is to help share what god has placed on your heart and for the fellow feminist leaders as well so jeff thank you so much man. i would rather help you get a book out and it do better than mine there we go love it i love it jeff thank you so much for being on the podcast thanks for having me man i appreciate it